0: That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive, and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car
1: buying should be. Welcome to episode 466 with my guest, Brian Simpson. I am Paul Gilmartin. And this here, this here podcast, this in here thing is the mental illness happy hour. It's a It's a place for honesty about all the battles in your head, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to simple, everyday, compulsive negative thinking. I'm not a therapist. I'm a former stand-up comedian and TV host. Uh, I'm still a professional jackass, and uh, this this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's a peer-to-peer thing and uh we've been doing it 9 years god i can't believe it's it's been that long um i've had one of those weeks that is just uh Christmassy. and for those of you that don't enjoy christmas you know you know what i mean there's that i have that feeling like when i see lights go up or somebody getting excitedly talking about christmas i just feel Left behind, it's it, it's feeling like standing out in the backyard, looking in through the window at everybody having a party that you're not invited to, and I think it's easy to kind of adopt a cynical attitude about about Christmas or the holidays, and and um, but for so many of us, we're not exaggerating. It just really is something to be endured rather than something to look forward to, and I wish. I looked forward to it. Um, But I think the catastrophizing part of our brain has so much past information to load that the pictures it creates in anticipation of Christmas moments, it's pretty based in in fact. Um But I think it also keeps us kind of in that place where we're listening to the fear in our body rather than just being open to A potential moment that changes our our view of what Christmas is. Um, I don't know. I've just been feeling numb, a bit melancholy, and really having trouble getting things done. Dishes piling up, not making the bed, waking up at 1.30. You know, I'm still going to my support group meetings, still sharing with people, but still feeling that there's something I'm missing, some key to unlock the numbness and the detachment that I'm feeling that I just can't see or I'm too lazy to pursue. And so on top of feeling numb and detached, I also feel lazy and stupid. (laughs) And that can count as multitasking, thinking those four things at the same time. You know i've been i've been sharing with my maybe this would be a good place to uh plug our our sponsor betterhelp.com i've been sharing all of this with my 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 therapist and one of the things that she helps me with is kind of to to separate what are the facts on the ground from what are my negative self-beliefs what are the the things that i tell myself that keep me stuck uh, and sometimes there is, there is no way out other than through it and just kind of enduring it and waiting for, for it to change. But sometimes there are negative self beliefs that I, that I have that, um, that I need to look at. And, uh, regarding betterhelp.com, if you want to check it out, uh, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. And fill out a questionnaire. And make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from this podcast. And then fill out a questionnaire. And if they have a counselor they think is a good match for you, they'll match you up with one. And then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you. And you need to be over 18. Anyway, I know there's a lot of you that that relate uh, to it. And sending you, sending you some love. We have some... Uh, I'm going to load up most of the surveys before the interview here. And we have some great, awfulsome moments. For those of you that are new to the podcast, uh, an awfulsome moment is something that was awful at the time, but in hindsight uh, kind of makes you chuckle. Uh, or or there was some you know silver lining to it. And this one was filled out by a woman who calls herself, Can't Find My Keys. And she writes, I once dated a guy who had a micropene. We'd been friends for a while, and we had a lot of mutual friends who would hang out together often, and this guy had been courting me pretty persistently for a long time. He was incredibly tall, wore size 13 shoes, and I discovered only after we had started dating that he had the penis of a very small child, but I really liked him and i wanted to protect his manhood so i didn't make a big deal about it I just tried to have a normal sex life i even went online and special ordered a box of trojan snug fit extra small condoms and i would open the packet and toss it before he could see the packaging just so i wouldn't make him feel bad about his small appendage one morning after a bit of drunken bit of a drunken sleepover he seemed ex- extra concerned about the fact that he could not find the condom we had used the night before It's probably down the side of the bed or something, I muttered and rolled over. He was pretty insistent that it was nowhere to be found and that it might be up inside me. I'd never heard of such a thing, but I went to the bathroom to have a dig around and nothing. Still, he was insisting it might be up there, so then I had him dig around for it and still nothing. But throughout that day, he just kept insisting that I should probably go to a clinic and just have them check to make sure. In hindsight, I realized that this probably wasn't the first time this had happened to him, even with the special extra small condoms. So I went to have one of the most embarrassing clinical experiences imaginable, where I had to put my legs in stirrups and let a random male clinic doctor pull out the forceps and get right up there. And sure enough, pulled out a used condom that was lodged so far up my vagina that it couldn't be reached without the help of a doctor's forceps. The doctor claimed this happens all the time, but it's possible he was just trying to ease the awkward tension. He then commended me for coming in so soon because many women don't realize this has even happened until days later when it starts to stink to high heaven. Sorry for that, uh, that visual about a week later, I was looking around for my keys and couldn't find them anywhere, and my under-endowed boyfriend said to me, Did you check inside your vagina? Oh, my God. Something you don't hear very often is men uh, talking about a... Partner's vagina being too large, and I wonder if that's a bit of a double standard, um, because there's a bit of a, a I don't know a punchline quality to recalling some guy having a a small penis. But I wondered if you if you were in the same group of of let's say people at a cocktail party and you were anonymous sharing about an anonymous person that you had had sex with that. And let's hope you're doing this around people you've never met before, <laughs> and you were sharing about somebody that you had had sex with that had a a, a micropenis i'm I'm sure it would elicit laughter, but I wonder if instead of that conversation somebody talked about somebody that had a really large vagina if if it would get the same reaction if it would still be considered punchline worthy. I don't know. Just a thought. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a non-binary person who calls themselves uh, a signed fuck-up at birth. And they write, I'm from London, but I have a large extended Irish family. Every year in the run-up to Christmas, I find myself at gatherings of 30 to 40 relatives that create the perfect cocktail of alcohol, passive aggression, unprocessed family trauma and hours together in overcrowded terrace houses. Usually as a queer person with borderline personality disorder and as a survivor of sexual violence by an intimate partner, these events are a nightmare. I find the noise alone too much to deal with and then I have to spend hours being asked questions about my future, when will I have kids and a husband, people speculating about how well I am. Like most people, it feels like family it uh, it feels like family know exactly how to push my buttons. This year, the first of many Christmas parties set an all-time record, and for once it was so off- awfulsome. all I could do was laugh. Sitting, eating pineapple and cheese on a stick, my aunt gave me a small, lovingly wrapped present. I thanked her and said she shouldn't have. I didn't realize how prophetic that comment would be. I carefully unwrapped the shiny box, only to find a small, gray plastic rape alarm amongst the noise no one had seen it but my sister who sat next to me we met each other's eyes and part of me wanted to just break down what was my aunt thinking my family all know my history instead me and my sister just started laughing and i whispered to her five years too late still reeling we made a beeline for the garden where we had a smoke My dad's girlfriend was there, and after five minutes, she turned to my hyper-body-conscious sister and asked if she had put on weight. Later, when the party was over, my sister messaged me and said, What a fucking afternoon, right? I texted back, I know, right? I'm so glad you were there, though. She said, Me too. We weren't always the closest of siblings, but the day made me remember that she has my back and that she's willing to remind me that it's not all in my head. We won't stop being a dysfunctional, sprawling family anytime soon, but sometimes we can laugh through the more surreal moments. Oh, that is fantastic. That is the capper. Did you put on some weight? That's like out of a movie. Out of a movie. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com breath. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. This is an awfulsome Moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Poopseroni, and she writes, A recent awfulsome Moment from my life is when my long-term boyfriend, who I had lived with for a year and a half, told me late at night that he didn't want to be in a relationship anymore. Both of us went into panic. I had a really intense panic attack that felt like I was dying. I could not breathe. And then he ran to the bathroom to throw up. When he got back from the bathroom... I ran to the bathroom to poop. This happened three more times over the next ten minutes or so, alternating between him vomiting and me pooping right after him. The decision he made to end our relationship has been incredibly terrible and painful for me, and I had to move out of our home and leave our dog, but there is something about that night that just makes me laugh because... It is so funny to me that we took turns running to the toilet to stress vomit or poop and then back to the bedroom to keep talking and crying. And I have not had a normal poop since then, and this happened about six weeks ago. Oh, you guys are giving me Christmas presents early. A good, awful awesome moment is like a any survey that, that moves me or makes me laugh or makes my jaw drop is, uh, is a little tiny Christmas present. Um, one of our sponsors for today is REMRISE. Uh, a lot of us struggle with sleep, getting good quality sleep, falling asleep when we want to fall asleep. And REMRISE can help you with that. It's a personalized sleep solution, and it uses natural plant-based formulas to help calm the mind, relax the body, and get your circadian rhythm on track for a better, more restorative sleep. Uh, It's drug-free. There's no groggy side effects. I can tell you that. I've made it a part of my nighttime routine, and they will customize based on the input you give them. You take a little quiz online and they'll, you know, ask you questions like, you know, do you find yourself ruminating when you're having trouble falling asleep, et etc. et cetera. And the one that they recommended for me is one called Power Off because, um, apparently I have trouble shutting, shutting my brain down, turning, turning my motherboard off when I, when I lay down at night. So all you have to do Go to GetRemRise.com slash mental. Take their free quiz. And um, there's also a digital app that you can use to track your sleep progress. And it also includes guided meditation. So uh, check out RemRise today. Go to GetRemRise.com slash mental. Take their sleep quiz. And when you guys sign up, you'll get your first week of RemRise free. And all you have to pay for is shipping. And you won't find an offer like this anywhere else. Get your first week of REMRISE for free when you sign up at getremrise.com mental. That's getremrise.com mental. And then uh, this is one more survey before we get to the interview with Brian Simpson. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Sunflower, and she writes, I grew up in a dysfunctional household with an abusive dad and a codependent mother who was a victim of sexual abuse, so it wasn't so surprising that I felt like I had to lose my virginity right after I turned 15 years old. So, eight days after my birthday, which happened to be Valentine's Day, I had my boyfriend come over. My mom was out of town visiting my stepdad. This boyfriend was 18 years old, had a Dawson's Creek haircut, played Dungeons and Dragons, and was goofy as fuck, but he was sweet and funny, so I was, quote, in love, I guess. Boyfriend had his dad drop him off that night, and we go into my room and start to mess around. He wanted to go down on me, and I was hesitant and nervous because it made me uncomfortable, but I let him anyways. So I'm laying on my back on top of the covers, completely naked, and he is not, and he looks up right at me before he starts and asks me, who won the presidential election? Without thinking, I answer, Bush. I then tell him to get the fuck out of my house. I was mortified, so he leaves my house and at 10 o'clock at night in the cold on foot to walk about four or five miles up in the mountains of Central California. Did I feel bad? No, I did not. No wonder he was a virgin, but don't worry, I ended up losing my virginity a few months later after a four-twenty party to a slipknot-loving, pot-smoking 16-year-old guy who, a few years later after our relationship, was expelled from school and ended up on house arrest for accidentally starting a fire with a cigarette. And no, there was no Bush.
0: Nobody's Nobody's cool and and everyone's scared
1: scared. and And we're just all all in in this together. together. (laughs) There was no joy Overeating Apathy doesn't leave any marks Numbing out Physically I wish that I was a girl Panic attacks were so violent rudderless They were mistaken for seizures Shot coke in my neck The TV was talking to me Romantically I am becoming the woman that I feared He said There's going to be a saga of hunger speak. Nothing's real And I'm going to die Sometimes I just go Hey I can't deal Just beyond broken I'm out You have to like
0: fantasize about the person I'm with i not going to stop it Fucking someone else
1: It's okay to be Somebody turned me on to, I think it was uh, Rai Doon, who was a guest a couple of months back. It was some comedian, and I can't remember. It was Dune. yeah. I, I think so. Um, but he said, you got to interview this guy. He's a stand-up comic. He served in Iraq, and uh, and he deals with depression. And I was like, Phew, check, check, check. And uh-huh. then I, uh, I just watched your stand-up the other day, the set from – uh, David Spade show. What's what's the name of his show again? Lights out. Lights out. Oh, and I was telling Brian as as we were munching in the kitchen, uh, very little stand up comedy makes me laugh or surprises me, and I so enjoyed your set. It was just so refreshing and um, just just great. It's just great. You really dry wit, great great <laughs> writer and great thinker, and uh, my favorite comics are the ones that really just kind of think outside the box. They have a way of looking at things um, that, I, I guess that sounds kind of obvious, but anyway, I just wanted to gush about your stand-up for, <laughs> for a little bit on mic. Thank you. Where do we start? You're, you're from Maryland. I am. I'm from Maryland and then you lived in San Diego for a while when you joined the Marines but let's let's go uh, let's start with Maryland what what was like uh, life like growing up where in Maryland
0: um i grew up in pg county maryland southern maryland which is basically like the 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 dc maryland virginia circle there mm-hmm. um and and i uh you know i was i was in foster care from a very young age So just a lot of bouncing around, home to home, to home, to home, to home, to home, to home. home. Holy shit! You know, and so I, uh, you know, whether it be family members or or um, strangers or whatever, I just I must have moved. You know, I must have moved probably fourteen times. Um,
1: How many different sets of caretakers have you had in your life?
0: Well, some of them were more than once, um so you go
1: back to somebody,
0: yeah, sometimes, it, yeah, or um, so let me see here i probably i lived with one two three four people, I lived with four people twice, so I've never even thought about the how many, so let me see uh so probably 9. Damn. Um, 9 different uh people.
1: Where were mom and dad in the picture?
0: Um, well, I mean, I I my mom was um in California. Ironically. I guess that's mm-hmm. not ironic, but you no, know, she is. She was in California um for, you know, for various reasons. And my dad actually lived with my dad for some of those, a couple of those years. Um, um, But it was a whole, it was a whole weird like dynamic, you know what I mean? Where my my mom had my mom was a teenage was a teen mom, Mm -hmm. and she was living with her mom, who dated abusive men. And she couldn't, you know, take it, and she like burned one of them with an iron, and like, and then, and it, it turned into this big thing, and she ended up just having to leave, but she couldn't afford to like take us. I got you, you know, and but she, I think, you know, she knew that her mom wouldn't let anything happen to, us. like, her mom was our best bet, so whether, right. you know, it was like it was better to her, it was better for us to be with her mom than to be with her out on the road as a teen, you know, as a right. eighteen year old, with, you know what I mean too. So she left us with her mom and um and
1: so did you endure abuse from your grandmother's boyfriends
0: no no not never never um my grand oh no my see that i mean she would put up with a lot of shit from <laughs> from dudes but that was one thing where she didn't play that shit you know it yeah. was like i mean seriously i mean she, you know a dude would Uh, I mean, I watched her put up with a lot of abuse, but when it came towards herself, towards herself. Yeah, right. But and it sounds like also towards her daughter. um, No, I don't think my mom. No, I don't think so. Oh, so your your mom was sticking up for your grandma. Right. My mom was sticking up for my grandma. Right. I got you. And and you know, because that you know, that that's the weird thing, is like if one of them had done something to one of her kids, I think my grandma would have killed that motherfucker, you know. Yeah. I mean, or maybe they did, you know, because me and my mom never really go that deep into it. Right, you know. But uh but um shit, I could do a whole podcast with my mother probably talk just talking about all those years, you know. You but should. maybe I should, yeah, maybe I will. Um but but you know, having said that, when when my mom was in the picture, I saw my I saw my father often. But my grandma didn't like him. I see. So when my mom left, I never, I didn't even know where he was or any of that. Like my grandma was like, "Nah."
1: Do you have any memories of what you felt or thought back during those time periods?
0: Um, I I I know that like there was a series of events in that early time that 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 eroded my trust in um authority you know and i i don't think i've ever really regained that it's it you know because you still when you you know even as an adult even all these years later you still have you have to deal with the same it, because it's your foundation you know mm-hmm. and so you can't re you know it's, hard, it's so hard to like redo that and relearn how to feel you know it, uh, and so you put it so perfectly
1: and to learn how to trust again the, the biggest hurdle is to realize that you're not even trusting
0: yeah well, Be- well, because
1: well, it just seems like common sense
0: yeah, well the thing is i i didn't lose the trust cuz my mom was always very um, she's always been a uh, 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 pragmatic. You know, mm-hmm. so she was always very, and she always respected my intelligence. You no, know, even when I was very, very young. So she didn't have a problem explaining things to me if I was curious about them.
1: Were you a little philosopher even back then?
0: I was. I like, well, you know, if I wanted to know something, she knew that I would go find out if she didn't tell me. So she didn't tell me like bullshit, like uh, you know. One time she told me babies came from the cabbage patch, you know, and
1: you uh, said, then why are you fucking so much?
0: <laughs> no, but I came back. I came back from school the next day and uh, and, I, and I and I and I told her and I was like, well, I found out babies come from vaginas. And she, from that moment on, she was like, OK, look. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just we'll talk about it like when you can you know when you yeah. know more and I'm like all right but so after after that it's like if I asked her about something she would... so anyway when she left mm-hmm. she um, she told us that she was like, she didn't just like disappear she like sat me and my brother down I was like I gotta go these are the reasons I'm, I'll be back I promise blah, blah, blah. so that wasn't that didn't damage us or at least not me I've had, actually I've never really spoken to my brother about it either. But, but, um, uh, but then we, uh, we ended up being home alone one day and one of the neighbors or one of somebody else had called the cops and said we were home alone. And that was a weird thing. Um, and, um uh, and we ended up being taken from my grandma cause you know, we were last kids and we were given to our auntie who lived upstairs. Mm-hmm. In the, in the same apartment, building. and um and that was a weird situation too. But then, uh, um, my brother, my me, and, my brother and I have different fathers, and his father's mom was a foster kid mom. So my my auntie, who now all of a sudden had four kids because she had two of her own, now all of a sudden she has four kids. She's like, I can't, yeah, yeah, I can't do that. So she, so she put us in foster care, right? And then this is where. My trust was fucked up. It's because, um, because, because she told us that we were going to
1: Six Flags.
0: No, she told us we were going to, cause my, my brother's grandma lived in the suburbs. Like, so at this point, we live in, we live in the Southeast DC, Ma, you know, Monday King Avenue. And my, his grandma lived in the suburbs. Like, she had a nice house. She, you know, they had cable. They had Nintendo's. You know, it was like they were living good over there. But she was kind of an asshole. So it was like one of them things where it was like, we, we visited, it was good for a little while, but it was like, yeah, all right, let's get the fuck up out of here. Cause she, know, cause she could cook, you know, it was like nice. And she told us, oh yeah, we going over, we going over grandma's for, for, for Christmas, you know, and we got all ready, got all back, all stuff up. And then, you know, Christmas came and went and, (laughs) and then she didn't come back and get us. I was like, what? And, and I was the last one to know. You know, and I was so furious. I was so furious because it was in the middle. It was a, it was in the middle of arguing with one of the kids there. You know, and it was like, you know, and I don't know. I was, I was, I, w- I definitely didn't have the balls to say fuck you, but I was saying something to the, to that effect, whatever the kid f- equivalent of that was. But I was like, fuck you. I can't wait till we go home. You know, and the kid was like, what? You live here? And I was like, no, no, the fuck we don't. And I remember going around asking everybody like, this is your, your aunties. No, uh-huh. this is at my brother's grandma's house. Oh, okay. So we were living, okay. we were living with our aunt. Gotcha. And then we we went we to visit it. We went to visit there for Christmas, but in reality, we were we were we had been put in foster care. Gotcha. You. you know. Holy shit. And when I found when I found out, I was. I. You know, I think it was the first time in my life that I was ever enraged. And I and I at the time I couldn't have put a a word on it, but right. I was so fucking angry and I felt so powerless. I was so angry. <laughs> I can't I couldn't believe it. Yeah. That was that was the first little straw. And then I um they started making you go to therapy right off the bat, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember them trying to prescribe me Ritalin when I was like six or seven years old, right? Which was um I forget what they call it now what they're giving the kids but it's, Are uh, you a hyper kid uh well i was diagnosed with um the, it it wasn't a d h d back then it was just it was just ADD, ADD. right yeah. and they get and they yeah they prescribe me riddling. i wasn't a hyper kid i was uh i just wanted to do you i became just,
1: easily bored by something and your brain moved on to the next right, thing
0: right just which 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 is weird because they see that as a weakness which i don't think it is anymore But anyway, they give they try to give me the pill, and it tastes like shit, so I didn't take it. And then I remember, like after a couple of weeks or a month or two of doing it, I remember going to the parent teacher conference, and 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 the teacher and the school to get the guidance counselor, and all of them they were all sitting around talk. They were all sitting around patting themselves on the back, like, oh, I I see the progress. All this, not knowing that I wasn't taking the pill. And I'm sta- I'm sitting there. And I'm sitting there like, you know, and I, again, th- my language wasn't the same, but the sentiment was the same. I was just like, these motherfuckers are full of shit. So I didn't, so that, so from, from. That was the second straw. That was, that was the second straw. But that was all it took for me. You know, I was just like, man, I'm just going to. At that time, I wasn't a hundred, like a thousand percent rebellious. Right. But I was. It, that's 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 what got me going. I was like, I'm, whatever I get the opportunity, I'm gonna do what I want.
1: Would it be safe to say that you realize that you can't depend on anybody and that you alone are in charge of your destiny? It, was that? Well, I, or was it just those group of people you couldn't depend on?
0: No, it was definitely not that. You know, because because at the like, if you had asked me at the time. I would have said, this is the worst. These are the worst people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're mean. Cause that was my word for everything. Like they're, they're mean, you know, but looking back on it with, with hindsight, I just think it was, um, uh, it was, it was very similar to what happened to me in school, but, but emotionally, right? Where it's like you would go, you know, you get, you, you, you get sent to a new school in the middle of the school year and you get there and, and, And uh, and the curriculum is different or the class is in a different spot or you just in a completely different classes than you were at your last place and you're just behind. Right. And it's the same thing It's like you go to a new home and the emotional foundation is different, like the basics are different. So what's expected of you? Is you know it's assumed that you that you already have certain shit. For example, it's like my when I lived with my grandma, it was like she was on top of everything we did. You know, it was like you if you you know if you walked in the house, she was like, "Where's your homework?" You know, she wanted to look at it, she wanted to see it, she wanted to make sure you understood it, and all of this. But this new this new foster home, they she had too many kids to be doing that shit. So it was just like. You know, it was like, "Do you have homework? Yes or no? Okay, well, if your report card coming is, and you don't have good grades, you can get your ass whooped." But I'm not going to be on top of it every single day, you know. Gotcha. And that's what I mean. Or it's like, um, just like, just like little, little, little stuff like that, where it's like you're, you, you, you become like an emo, um, like, like an outsider, an emotional outsider in the, in the, in the tribe. You know, mm, what's that feel like? Um. I don't know. It felt normal to me. Like I, after a while, it just felt like normal. That, that's the thing. You don't realize. Like I, I, I didn't walk around like feeling like some fucked up kid. You know, I didn't realize. You really, didn't,
1: you didn't say out loud. My emotional needs are not being met. <laughs> right? No, no.
0: I just, I just didn't. And I think I was. You know, I frustrated a great many of therapists because I, I very rarely did I open up to any of them.
1: As a kid, you mean in oh, therapy?
0: Yeah. yeah cause <laughs> and this was this was the last straw. Was, uh, I remember being sent to therapy one time and, uh, and the therapist, you know, going through the whole, their whole rigmarole, the whole, the whole, you know, you can trust me and, but, you know, unless you say you're gonna hurt yourself and all that other stuff. And we go through this long, you know, session or whatever and, uh, and then I'm like, all right, take it easy. She's like, oh, no, 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 just wait. You know, just wait in the lobby. I have to talk to um, your foster mom or whatever, and and then she spent like thirty minutes talking to her. You know, and I, and and after that, I remember being like, you know, wait a minute, what what were you talking to her about? <laughs> She's like, oh, just some stuff. It was like it was like they had a secret because me- like you ain't in therapy, motherfucker. Why does what y'all talking about have to be a secret? Right. You know? Because she just told me that whatever I said to her is between me and her. So right. what the fuck is she talking to you about? You right? Know what I mean? And they, and they wouldn't tell me. You know? And I'm like, fuck this. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so every time they try to send me to the therapy, I would just sit there until, and you know, after about four or five of those sessions, they'll stop. One, yes. they'll be like, "This is pointless," you know.
1: And so H- have there been? Uh, I guess I should say, are there things in your life where that feeling of rage comes up again? Uh, situations where you can remember feeling rage that intensely as you did when you were lied to
0: yeah because um yeah because i think my rage is often rooted in things not making sense you know not adding up you know not necessarily people being deceptive um right but i see i think i I would definitely be upset with someone being deceptive and definitely be mistrustful of someone that I thought was being deceptive, but I would, but if they had no reason to be like no logical reason that I could, I see that I could ascertain why they, why they're being deceptive. That is what would make me enraged when I was like, you're just being evil for the sake of it. Like, you know, like you're the joker or something, you right. know, <laughs> right? it's like, I just, I just have this, I have this like desperate need to make sense of things, you know? that that makes sense and so it's like people that hurt, people that people that try to hurt you for no reason mm-hmm. are the people that like you know i just i got i got no sympathy for are there any examples that you can think of no not really like a, like a like a mass shooter like somebody that's like a man because uh, um actually i've I talked about this on stage a little it hasn't gotten it hasn't gotten really got really gotten into to work yet but but it's like really your mass shooting bit isn't <laughs> well not isn't the, when, when, bringing the house down. Well, just this little piece of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like I would, I would have, I would have far more sympathy for, uh, for uh, a student that went back to school and shot the motherfucker that was picking on them. Rather than just shooting up everybody in the class. Right. Right. Because that's it's senseless. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's what would enrage me. Where it's like, oh, that dude put your face in a toilet every morning. Yeah, okay, I get it. I, I get it. You know, not right. that I necessarily agree with what no. you did. Yeah, I see. But I get it. You killed him because he was fucking with you. Yeah. But you just kill anyone? Like, you don't even care? Like, this with just innocent people? Right. That, it, I can't. I can't get past it. So, it's it's, it's
1: a to to relax you want to at least know what the rules are
0: um i don't know i guess i've never really um yeah but i guess i guess yeah that's a good way of putting it that's a good way of putting it i need to know the the landscape it, it's gotta add up yeah you know
1: yeah. um what what's the next stage of of your life so i did and, and don't let me put words in your mouth you know uh sometimes i like to sit here and pontificate and
0: summarize and uh, you know don't don't no, let me do doing, that yeah, if I'm misrepresenting you're doing, you're, you're what You're doing pretty good. Okay. Uh so then I end up so I joined the military mm-hmm. to um to like get away cuz was... you didn't like authority. <laughs> well, you know what? Honestly, it was just for me it was just about making my own decision. That's all it yeah. was. It was like and, and like Was looking... it was a a, a financial element a part of it? No, not at all. I mean maybe maybe a little bit, but but no what it really was was just about not having someone else be in control of me. You know, like that because Hold on. Hold on.
1: How is going into the military somebody not having control of you? That seems like no. the the ultimate version of that.
0: I know that I know it seems it seems sort of weird, but I didn't look at it that way because it was it was my way to freedom it because i keep in mind it's like i've been part of this institution that is pg county what was what the fuck do they call it pg county child protective services or whatever mm-hmm. it is i've been a part of this institution my right. my whole life all you know it's, and now i'm 18 and it's like You know, and and I was in this. I had just started their little program of they want to like they'll 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 take care of you till you're 21 as long as you're in class and Mm -hmm. you gotta go. You know, they gotta come and take you grocery shopping and come and take you clothes shopping once a month or twice a year or some shit. And I just was so over that. I was so over being them telling me what to do. Got you. The like this this because it's this it's just this organization that's like hovering over your life. And then every now and then they'll swoop down and and fuck it all up and like right. change it all around, you know. And and I just was I was just over that, you know. It and was it, probably the the smarter decision to stay in foster care and get my degree, but I was just like, fuck you, I'll join the military and get my degree that way. You know? It also seems like the
1: military would probably uh, be more upfront about what it is that they expect of you that, that, that there would be more uh logic to yeah. what it, what the rules are.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Well, I don't know if that's quite how I would put it. Um I, I don't know. That
1: that's my interpretation is somebody who's never been in the military is it seems yeah. like you know the It's all about the rules. So you have them pounded into your head. You can do this. You can't do this. Right. Whereas well, it sounds like in in when you were bouncing around <laughs> right. from house to house, you were a, a bit off balance with what's okay and what's
0: not. Right. Well, it, yeah, I'll say that. And in, in the in the military, for the most part, the rules are pretty straightforward um though a lot of them are up to the interpretation of really it's really it's it's a pseudo meritocracy right that doesn't turn into politics until you reach a certain rank you know right but for me, it was just a way through. I never had any intentions of staying. I, you know, I didn't do it. I wasn't joining out of like patriotic reasons. And for, for, for a split second, I thought I wanted to be a grunt and like kill people. But then my, you know, my recruiter was like, no, you don't, dumbass. Cause I score, I score pretty high on like the practice mm-hmm. tests, you know, and he was like, no, if you get this score on the real test, you can do whatever job you want almost, you know, you can get out and get, have, make money. You know, and I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, you're right." <laughs> like, yeah, what yeah. am I thinking? Yeah, but for me, it was just a means to an end. You know, even though I'm so glad I did it because it it was there was stability there that I didn't ever had. Talk about that. Because I was, I forget why. I, I, um, yeah, I, I was because there my, the unit I was in was uh, I got stationed in San Diego. And it was, um, a temporary, uh, thing. You know, it was a temporary thing before I got there and a little bit after. And this is the Marines. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but, but my, my actual unit was in Yuma, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then it was, it was a temporary thing at this base. And then it, it got turned into a permanent thing. Mm-hmm. And so everyone that was there, Was sort of moved in the system from Yuma to San Diego, and so it that the one move that you usually do in your career Mm -hmm. that you usually have to do. I mean, per enlistment. I mean, it was, you know, it had technically happened for all of us already. So we, I never left. I never went anywhere else. I was never in no other unit. I was never in any other platoon. You know, so and that's a good thing or a bad thing, or it's not a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just an unusual thing. Right. But it was great. It was a good thing for me because I never had, I'd never been in one place that long. I was there I my see. whole time, and with the same people. So not every single one, but all but like two or three of us were there the our whole time. And how many people is that? Um, I think there's probably I don't know. I think I'm back on it. There's probably forty or fifty of us. Um, but I was only probably close to like twenty people give me give me some some
1: snapshots of your time in the service, whether it was here or or overseas. We mean
0: snapshots
1: you know little moments in 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 time um. that are you know paint a picture of you know either the drudgery of it or the drama of it or something that dispels a myth about it? Just anything that kind of comes to mind.
0: Um, Even oh, if it's know, something that's seemingly unimportant. Um, I've, I've talked about the, my service a lot on other podcasts, but I don't, I don't know if I've ever brought up the fact that um, I did a lot of mushrooms at one point. Um, that was the probably the most transformative period of my entire life. And what was your job in the platoon? I was a um, shaman. (laughs) No, I was a uh, just for for simplicity's sake, a radar technician, even though I actually didn't I didn't fix the radar itself. I fixed the 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 box that connected to it, the tactical what the fuck do they call it? Tactical air operations module, which probably doesn't even exist anymore. Right. Yeah, because I think as I was getting out, it it turned from a, it was a van about the size of this room, like twenty feet by, by ten feet, um, and by the time I was leaving, they they had already they put it they had put it in the back of a truck, and and so it's probably now it's probably just a it's probably just an app on a yeah, on a cell probably. phone, yeah, who knows, um, because it's weird that's the one thing where they they, they weren't cheap about, but anyway, yeah, I, I was the only black person for a, a little while because they they'd had some kind of racial incident before i got there mm-hmm. so i was like the first black person there um in the platoon in the platoon yeah from from the moment i got there you know gotcha. i don't i really don't know that much about what happened before i got there but um because depending on who you ask the story is different uh um but th- that was a significant thing i did i i remember doing um Like my closest friend in the world, like still to this day, I remember, um, being, he was new to the union and I remember we were at someone's house, um, for Thanksgiving or some holiday or something like that. And they, (laughs) and they, uh, they offered us weed and, and, um, and neither one of us trusted each other so we were both like oh no I would never I would uh, I would never do drugs are you kidding me you know <laughs> and it's weird because we ended up doing a lot of drugs together like yeah. we ended up uh, doing I, we pro- I, did, I probably did mushrooms probably about 20 times mm-hmm. maybe a little less but that was the most it, my, it, I com- it completely changed my way of 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 uh, of thinking, I think it was how, so, f- how so? Because I, I think
1: I think I understand what you're saying because I've also done hallucinogens,
0: but I think I think it was the first time I had ever stopped and reflected, on like self reflection, like self examination, in a way that was productive. You know,
1: yeah. There there are, are those moments sometimes where you go you go from the the view where you are just stuck in the woods your face is against a tree to all of a sudden you're pulled out above the town above the city mm-hmm. above the state above the united states and it's like you're looking at the globe and all of a sudden you see all of these patterns and these interlocking things and these mm-hmm. these uh, at least for me those those are the moments that felt uh mind opening when i was doing hallucinogens was was just seeing things from a different perspective. Is that something you can relate
0: to at all, or oh, yeah. or not? Yeah, definitely. Or just being aware that there were that there was a such thing as perspective, you know. For instance,
1: any any insights that you remember uh, popping into your head and what they felt like or how you felt about yourself.
0: Yeah, I think the probably the most. Powerful thing I, I took from that whole p- period because it was probably like over the course of maybe like a year, a year and a half. Um, but w- the most powerful thing was just that uh, that you c- you can be who you choose. You know that just that life isn't something that's just happening to you. Mm-hmm. You know that like you're a participant in right. in it, and so you can affect. Who you are, you know, the, it, but it, 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 it was just, I don't know, it was such a profound thing for me at the, at the time. It was exactly. like, Oh, I can shape my, my, my own self. How I react to the things I can't control. <laughs> right. Or just like, I think before that, I was just sort of a passive participant mm-hmm. in, you know, I was only, I was only existed in the moment and that, and not, not in the few or in the past and not, in the future, like I, I just, I think I had just maybe never even considered the possibility that uh, that I could be a different person someday, or that I could be
1: in in terms of your external circumstances, or your personality, and how you interact with the world,
0: or all of the above. Um, yeah, you know what it is. It's like it's like it's like the first time. You, it was like the first time you see that there's a mirror that you see a mirror, and you're like, oh, I. Oh, I can control how I'm perceived. I I can control what this reflection is. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Like I, th- I think I it, it'd been like I had never looked in a mirror before, you know, and now I was like, oh shit! Like I have to start. I can pay attention to. You know, I think yeah. I think I just start. I stopped feeling sorry for myself and stopped feeling, um, victim because I, I mean I was sort of a victim of circumstance to some to some degree, but I also realized that like. Whatever debt you feel the world owes you, it's never going to be paid, you know. Wow, that's the the it, the, the earth is in trem the earth is in tremendous debt to a lot of people. Just the world, the the universe, it doesn't it, it's never going to pay you. Dude, that you is know? so going in the opening
1: montage of next year's podcasts. It's wow. such a it's
0: such a great. You already know sentence. the opening montage of next year's podcast. I mm-hmm. know that. Clip is going in there. Oh, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I thought you meant that you already had
1: a montage. No, no. When somebody says something that that uh, really hits me, um, I'll often say to them, "That's going in next year's opening opening montage." Because it it's I like to find little snippets that kind of uh, encapsulate the vibe of the podcast. The great moments of the podcast, and that one just uh, was such a condensed
0: version of what this podcast is about. Oh, okay, I'm still not quite sure what the podcast is about, but don't tell Amen. me. Don't wait. Till, wait. Till, wait. Till after. Let's. Share some overseas memories if you if you can. Um, you, you know, a lot of that is kind of a blur. It, it, it was mostly just boring. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So there's no PTSD? Just or boredom.
0: Anything. I mean, I, I definitely think that, I think it definitely exacerbated a lot of, of mental stuff that I, because because you know what it is, is that after, like I, like I joined the military before 9-11, so I didn't, you know, I didn't have patriotic reasons. I wasn't trying to be a hero. Or none of that. I was just trying to make it out in one piece with my college money. You so know? what were the years you were in? Uh, 2001 and 2006. So I, I joined in March of 2001. And then, oh wow! And then, and 9/11 happened like six months yeah. later. And did you did you think fuck? Yes, yes, I was real upset because now there's stakes. You know, it's like, and you and you know, you have to have trust, and you know, there there the, there the are people above you that are not competent you who, know, cause you, who control your life right and uh, I mean, luckily for me like the people directly above us were, were were pretty competent most of them but it's like you there's such a long chain of people that have to you know just marginally know what they're doing mm-hmm. and you have to trust it and it's like yeah I, I don't i never trust the government to get anything uh that, you know because they're going to cut corners mm-hmm. you know they're going to give you expired shit. they're going to have you in the wrong place You know, you find out afterwards, you know, you always hear, you always find out afterwards that, oh, that, you know, these people only survive because, you know, they just so happen to stumble, you know, people have so much trust in them, in the machine, you know, Mm -hmm. and I did not.
1: Was was there uh, any element of also being worried, being a person of color, that, that you would be treated differently or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Talk about that.
0: That was a constant worry for me, but just because... You know what it is because a lot of racism is, you, you know, it's systemic, and the, the military is America, you know, and so it, it's it's just a, it's just a sample, you know. It's like if you took a if you took a, a, a eyedropper and dipped it into America and pulled it out. I mean, that's what the military is, right? And so, and, but the difference is that people people above you in rank have absolute authority over you, at least the closest that it, it could be in America to someone that, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, what are the chances of you encountering a racist that has unquestionable power over you? Like, as long as they don't straight up call you a, a racial slur, you know, directly, because they don't even have to, because they can just fucking screw with your life, you know, and and uh, uh but it's weird, because I think you get so used to being treated like shit anyway that even if (laughs) it's like i I would have a hard time looking back and 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 figuring out what happened because i was black and what happened for some other dumbass reason you know you You would have a hard time or you wouldn't i would i would have a hard time knowing which what the what was malicious and (laughs) what was just incompetence well it's all malicious you know like but I would have a hard time separating, like, what were the times that this happened because of racism or for some, cause, like, this person's an asshole. They're being an asshole to me. And it's like, but that, but also, almost everyone's an asshole in the miracle. So it's like, <laughs> right. sussing out their motivations is almost impossible. You right. know? But I'm, I'm, I know, I'm sure it happened. What's, what's your thing about, uh, pennies? Um. Oh, the oh the pennies joke. Did yeah. I do that on? You did. Um. What do you mean? You you want me to do the bit?
1: Oh, you, yeah. I mean, you don't have to perform it, but what? How, how does it go again?
0: Um. That America. America looks at black people the way cashiers look at pennies. Yeah. <laughs> Legally, they have to accept us everywhere, but <laughs> if you walk in with more than a handful. Uh, Everyone's like, "What the fuck is going on?" (laughs) Right, and and that's really that's what I learned. I learned so much about white people from the Marine Corps. Talk about that. Just because I was just I was just I was just given a triple dose of it, you know, just (laughs) (laughs) just immersed. I mean, the thing is, being black in America, you you're already immersed in white culture outside of your own stuff. But this was a whole different thing because um outside of any kind of institution you don't really have to conform you know but this was a this was a weird thing and i and uh you know and i i i spent a lot of time frustratedly trying to like explain racial stuff to white people and i and i, I mean i i i gave up i i got i got, a, I got a, a couple of people in the fold mm-hmm. you know but it was just it was it was a mostly fruitless Any moments you can remember that that were fruitful or fruitless? Um, not any moment in any moments in particular. But I just know, you know, I know that it's like, was it? Remember the Titans? What movie was that? Where they? With Denzel. Right. Where where like when he brought the team together, they Mm -hmm. they all came together because you know they were from a racist town. But when they when he took them apart and they all blah, blah blah. But as soon as they got back to the town. It was back to business. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. I I know that, 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 you know, the military is tough because you're, you're given an identity, you know, and you have your whole lives in common. But when it's over, what's left, right? Like how much of what you had in common was just that you're, I, I think that's true of any job that is also a lifestyle, right? Whether it be a cop, or musician or or comedian or whatever it's like you have your you have everything in common as long as this is your job as long as this is your life right and then as soon as that's over with you're back to just being somebody from like that's all we don't have anything we're nothing alike you know so I don't know who is what back in their hometown you know
1: yeah I always think about the really really top-notch athletes and what that's got to be like sitting on their couch the first day of the next season, you know, that, that, that they've retired. Oh man. That, that has to be, um, you know, money aside and all, all that other stuff that that has to be a difficult adjustment anybody, I suppose, who's, who's in the spotlight and just is, is used to this certain world. That's been that way since they were probably in little league or playing wee. Well, that's, I like,
0: that's why I like stand up because that's 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 the profession where people don't expect you to stop when you're getting older you
1: know? I didn't think I'd ever stop I yeah. thought I'd be doing it until you know whenever and, and honestly I still start? love ri- writing jokes uh, I just got tired of the road I got tired of um you know a terrible feature act being put on in front of me and then just you know having to struggle for five shows because you know it was just a barrage of loud dick jokes setting setting up, you know, the show before I got on. Right. Um, being away from home, uh, that's probably the biggest thing. Is I, I just the, the traveling, the airports.
0: Yeah. Um, and now you know what's so weird is like, well, shows in general, but stand up in particular has become so exploitative. You know, it's it's it, the people. How so? Because you know, comics now are, are shamelessly underpaid
1: because they need the "quote unquote" exposure.
0: That's the the thing um, that they get used to I leverage. It I think it's because I think some of it is just because the the it is it's so saturated, so oversaturated that there's always a comedian willing to do it for that amount of money. So. I got
1: you. So what's what's so, the average uh, feature act make make on the road for you know uh, Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday or a Thursday think, through uh, Sunday? I
0: think it's different. It's, d- it's different for everybody, but I, I'll just say this: if you are f- if you featuring on the road, mm-hmm. you 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 pretty much have to hope that the headline will let you sell merch, you know, mm-hmm. t-shirts and CDs. Yeah. And stuff basically, like that. any co any comic that's getting paid decently is because, like any any unknown comic that's Mm -hmm. getting paid decently, is because someone is being a good person. Someone just went out of their way to be a better person than they have to be because most promoters are scum. I think that's probably true in every industry, but...
1: That that was the true when, uh, true when I when I was doing stand up I started in in eighty seven and you know I was fortunate enough to have started when the comedy boom was underway so you didn't have to be great to get stage time they they were just looking for warm bodies and then when it uh, just kind of collapsed in the in the early nineties because it was oversaturated that's when the real comedy business emerged and you you kind of found out what the what the marketplace looks like in terms of oh, yeah. uh your power to say yes or no or um you know who are the good club
0: owners and who are the bad ones and there was a few good ones there um, there they are yeah yeah um, th- and now i think there's th- there's a bubble again mm. and an oversaturation again um so and you know who knows uh, I, th- and that's the thing i i know that the industry is has always been this way it, it's it's hard to resist the temptation to assume that all our problems are brand new. <laughs> right. You know?
1: that's, that's one of the disappointing things about getting older, yeah. you know, and especially being a fan of documentaries. As you like watch a documentary on the Gilded Age, the late eighteen hundreds, and all of the wealth was was held by like ten people <laughs> right, and they thought that they had cured that with all of these antitrust laws, and here we are again a hundred and twenty years later, and it's the exact same fucking thing
0: yeah. technology fools us into into believing that we have made some sort of progress as a species, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, it doesn't matter if it's a sword or a laser beam, you know, a rail gun or whatever. It's like, we're still the same human beings.
1: Right. Has decency evolved? That's the question.
0: Well, just technology evolves faster than the human. Um, I mean, I, I think the human capacity to fuck up it is the fa- is the fastest evolving part of us technology is just is just a different way for us to fuck things up. It's just it's,
1: sped up the accidents.
0: It's just I think every every time we make any advancement it's it's just that would, anything that can do good can do harm, right? I mean pretty much like when we discover gunpowder, you know, when we discovered electricity, when we discovered nuclear, it's like it's a, can all be used for good or bad and it's like I but I, we haven't matured at all you know what what makes us different from the uh you, you know, don't think there's been any
1: evolution in terms of uh, emotional literacy I feel like I feel like th- there is a segment of the population that is becoming more enlightened and while I think it's the minority um I I I feel like there there has always been that 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 movement but I feel like it's it's growing
0: hmm. I don't know. See, and this is me being cynical, I guess, but maybe because I'm not in comedy clubs anymore. <laughs>
1: That's the way I
0: No, can. but I, but I think that you know, there's always there's always that feeling. I just don't know how true it is because you know it is it's not a coincidence that we feel morally superior to people from the past, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and so the my question is. You know, and I'm, I don't know if I necessarily have the answer, but my question is, is it that we're morally superior to the people in the past or is it that we, we're we the ones that get to measure? At, everyone, in you know, at every present, you know, or, and in the future, they're going to look back on us and go, you know, it's, it's like, are, are we better than them or is it just that we get to say what's best because we exist now? Because every generation has thought they were better than the previous right. one, right? So. Uh,
1: I feel, I feel like there are some things that we've improved on and there's some things that we've gotten worse at.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And I don't know what the the overall grade is. Because
0: we still – because here's, here's the deal. We 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 still have all the same problems and on a larger scale. So – Just tip your mic up a tiny oh, bit if you want. Yeah, no we, we still have all the same problems and on a larger scale. So are we – I mean, even our morally superior people, are they more are they morally superior to the people to the morally superior people from the previous? You know? Yeah, I don't think I don't know. So so
1: maybe just the weapons we use to uh, harm each other and the presence we give each other have changed. And uh,
0: in our way of pretending to help, that's a big one. Or, Or like doing things to make us feel like we're doing things.
1: You know what annoys me, probably more than anything, is the people, the benefactors that have a wing of a uh, hospital named after them, and they've spent most of their lives amassing a fortune built on the backs of exploited people. Yeah. And then they yeah. get to have a, you know, a ball where everybody dresses up and lauds them and talks about how how great they are and uh, have you ever seen the movie uh, arbitrage no ar- ar- arbitrage arbitrage yeah arbitrage or arbitrage it's uh, with richard Gere, and it's about that very thing about the the 1% and the uh kind of the, the two-faced nature of um their lives and the you know the benefactors and the uh, donating yeah. of things that's it's every, such a that's great why everyone is on obsessed
0: that. with the succession you watched that it's
1: Amazing. It is. it is amazing. Oh my yeah. god I'm, I cannot wait for for next season and it I think it's also really satisfying because it's clearly pointed at uh, the Fox News Empire. It, it's you know I I'm sure they would deny it but the parallels between that and the Murdoch family are way too coincidental uh, to to not be intentional. And so it feels like those of us that disagree with that worldview are having our voices heard. Yeah. But you probably wouldn't know what it's like to not have your voice heard.
0: (laughs) Right, right. No, no, I wouldn't. Let me tell you about it. Uh, Um, I got
1: uh, an email from somebody a couple of months ago that said, why do you only ask about race when you have guests who are persons of color? And I said, well, the kind of the default view on race is everywhere. The, 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 the white view uh, on race, we hear it everywhere. Um, You look at our media, you look at whether it it's, outspoken or not whether it's uh you know kind of written between the lines or or not it's not hard to discern what somebody's view of race is when they make a tv show or they make something else it's there or the stories they choose to put on the front page of a newspaper so it's it's everywhere the 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 people that kind of own our culture and so my my point was i want to Hear about it from people whose voices have been marginalized historically, um, and, and I was honestly a little baffled by it. Um, what What are your
0: thoughts uh, on race or on white people? On, not, on that? Not, uh, oh, on that? On that email? Yeah, if you were to
1: answer that email, what would you say? Because I, while I understand that, yeah. I could ask my white guests about race and I'm sure that there would be um some some insights there it's not the most pressing question to me when I have somebody sitting across from me for for an hour and so I guess I'm 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 looking to uh learn more ab- about when do you talk about race when do you not talk about
0: race um well see i always i get that i got that criticism a lot from that tv spot I, um um why why what were the criticisms well just you know which i i already knew they were coming because i like i told you i've had the, i've had the i've had this conversation a thousand times <laughs> you know and so i knew what the criticism was going to be but it was just oh you know another black dude bringing up racism you now how original and you know, or you know, racism only exists because you bring it up so much, or you know, like all the all of the. What the, does that feel like when you hear somebody say something like that? Uh, um, for for me, it's just, it's 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 such an old song to me that I'm just like, I, I I mostly I feel pity for the person. So you don't feel anger? No, not anymore. No, very few things really make me angry like it, it had to be like gross injustice or something like that to like piss me off but uh, but uh, so that email that email I think I would say to that person like you like, see because you, have you ever had have you ever been in a situation where where like something someone in your house is um, is playing music or has the television on, but they're not watching it. Mm-hmm. And then you come in the room and change it to something that you want to watch. And then they go, "Hey, I was fucking." Why? That's what white people do with race, right? Where it's like there's this ubiquitous background, like you said, the the white perspective is everywhere, and it's so. It's so uh the word escapes me, but it is so damn it's universal. Yeah, ubiquitous, right? Yeah. It's so it's so everywhere yeah. that when it the moment you don't hear it anymore is when you start the moment you don't hear the it's the it's the it's the cosmic microwave whiteness, mm-hmm. right? And the moment you, you don't the moment you hear anything else, that's when you notice. Right. You know, it's so, and so it's like people of color are just those people walking in the room going, oh, no one's watching this. Well, let me just real quick check the game. And you go, hey, motherfucker, what are you doing? Why are you always changing the channel? And it's like, well, you you always watching, which, you know, it's the same thing. It's like America is constantly focused on on, you know, the white perspective, you know, and and right now, because what I always say, because sometimes I get I get I could heckle this, you know, and it's like, and my thing has always been, you know, you only have to hear about racism for the rest of my set, but I got to be black forever. So, you know, we, it's like, you know, if, if you if your if your if your stake is that, because I, I I don't know this person, so I don't know if they're one of these people that thinks like racism doesn't exist or something like that. But it's like, um,
1: no, this person was definitely not uh, of, no. of that. No, I th- I think they uh, they. Th- I I wouldn't say that they thought that I was being racist, but they thought that I was perhaps being, in in terms of the broader uh, view of race, that I was being uh, narrow in oh. when to talk about it, who to talk about it with. That it was kind of a low level um, bias.
0: Right. Well, because well, to me, that's like a, that's like it's like a micro. It's like the what about me isms. You know, it's the. um you know and maybe maybe it's subconscious but it's like what what is your what do, i i guarantee your view about race wouldn't surprise me you know because it's one of two things cuz I, like i told you i've i've I spent so long, much of my life trying to make or having to make white people comfortable mm. right and so and then and when i started doing comedy i stopped doing that you know and so you know, Did that feel freeing? Uh, I mean, not necessarily. I, I, I just because I, I realized that it's just more effective. It's more effective, you know, because because most of the time, it, mo- just from my experience, most of the time when someone is asking me to exp- when a white person is asking me to explain something racial to them. I have to determine whether this person is really trying to learn or if they just want me to make them feel better about some racist shit they did or mm. said or view that they hold because that's what it is most of the time All right is it's they they want they're not listening they're not hearing me they just they want me to make them feel okay about the shit they're already doing <laughs> you know right, gotcha. and so it, are there any particular instances
1: or subjects that you can you can recall uh that
0: Um, I mean, fuck, there's so many, um, black, uh, well, like black lives matter. You know, when you hear the all lives matter, like ask yourself, what is, what is, what is that rooted in? Mm -hmm. You know, is, is is in some cases it's, it's willful ignorance or whatever, But but, but so, you know, so often I'm in a situation where, um, I can't think of anything specific all the top of my head. It's just so me- <laughs> so often I'm in a situation where right. I'm where I am, um, where I'm asked to explain race, some racial thing, or I'm asked what I think about some some racial mm-hmm. thing, and then in the middle of the conversation, I get a <sighs> somebody will say something like, uh, "So, you know, like have you ever been? Have you ever been?" Like rolling in the conversation, going back and forth and back and mm-hmm. forth. And then, and then the person you're talking to goes on a tangent as if you agree with everything they're saying. <laughs> like that sort of thing. Like, uh, uh, I mean, okay, you know what? A big one is, is, uh, is saying the N-word. You know, can you, can you say the N-word to black people? And it's like, no. <laughs> right. You know, but it's like, don't, but it's like, don't try to assert it on me. You know, it, cause to me, it doesn't, it doesn't have to make sense. You know, it's right. just, it just is. It's just a rule. You know, it's just a respect thing. It's, you know, it's the same reason why I don't have a problem trying to call trans pe- people by their pronouns and stuff like that. You know, I mean, at least, at least try to be respectful, you know. Mm-hmm. Cause it, it's, it's like, it's, it's like stop and ask yourself, do you, did you, when, did you start thinking about racism only when you thought it could apply to you? Right.
1: When it became inconvenient or quote unquote annoying to you.
0: Right. Exactly. Oh, I do. I do have a specific situation. I remember being in, um, being in Iraq and, and, uh, we, so we were attached to, we were, my last deployment, we were attached to a reserve unit. My platoon, just my platoon was attached to this reserve unit. Um, I think what the, what the fuck was a fourth land? We, so we were attached to this division that we weren't a part of at all, mm-hmm. and so we were. So there were all these people that we had never, that we don't didn't know, mm-hmm. and they were reservists, which is a big line in the military, right? And so it's kind of the difference between a, a cop and a mall cop, or or is that too severe? No, that's too severe. It it isn't really the difference between a cop and a mall cop, but it's more like um. A doctor and an EMT. No. it's more like the, it's like it's like the difference between um, a hobby comic and a road comic. You know, it's. Like, I got you. And like, apologies like, to
1: any reservists out there. No, nope, I don't apologize.
0: I don't apologize to you. No, at at from from my. Oh, from him. Yeah, I'm from sorry. Me calling you a mall cop. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, but no, but they they, uh, um, but I remember. So so we're we're around people that we haven't known that like right. very long. And I remember being in a situation where, um, so our my our little can, our little twenty, our little where we lived, you know, there's like there's like six six of us in a twenty by ten space. Like we got three, we have two, you know, it's like bunk beds. There's three Mm -hmm. bunk beds in a room just a little bigger than this, right? And but we had ours. Ours was decked out. You know, we had a, we had a couch in there. We had a TV. Like we, we willed and dealt and bought shit from the locals and mm-hmm. we ended up, we ended up with an Xbox <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and all of the stuff that like we shouldn't have had, um, looking back on it. But, uh, but, but everybody would end up in our, mm-hmm. in our space at the end of the night sometimes because we had, we were the only people that had any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I remember, um, and I, I don't I don't remember what was on TV. Or, or someone, someone read an article and it was the, it was, it was, it was something where the, the lead singer of Pantera had like said something to that effect, like, you know, like white people are under attack or something, mm-hmm. something like that. And I just remember everybody looking at me like, what do you think? You know? And I'm the only, and I'm the only black person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, 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 and that was, that was one of those situations where it was like, nothing I said could, w- was penetrating that cloud, you know, it, because they didn't want to really hear what I thought. They just wanted me to make, to affirm. Make the moment okay. Exactly. And I'm like, you know, you know, that's the, f- I can't tell you how many times I've answered the question of like, where, where is, uh, you know, why is there a, a a black entertainment television? There's not a white. in you know, that kind of thing where it's like this, it's the, it's the white. It's, they don't
1: understand that the white is the default.
0: It's the, Right, but it, there's this insecurity, you know. Right. That it's just it's just so many it's just countless times I've had this conversation, and you you know what it is too is you you're you can't um, you don't it, it's something you have to actively work on. It's not something that's just gonna feel better, you know. And it, and it's not it's not it's not any minorities job to like make you feel better it's nice it's nice when you meet when you get a minority friend that's willing to answer all your questions and all that but but uh i'm retired that's 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 a young man's game you know i don't i've i've spent so many years doing it and i'm i'm just over being if anybody's first black friend i'm not gonna do it again you know
1: uh, I, I, there was a guy that I went to college with who will sometimes post things on Facebook that um, I, are the polar opposite of the things that that, that I believe. And when the whole uh, Black Lives Matter movement started, this person said, um, "Well, what? Why aren't these people protesting the black gang members killing each other?" And I said, because we don't pay gang members to protect us. <laughs> right, They're not being paid by our tax dollars. And the, and the fact that somebody couldn't see the difference between a systemic institutionalized thing and something completely different. I mean, yes, they're both tragedies that people are, are being killed. But I, I just can't... Um, and I know that that I I have things that I can be more enlightened on, and that I have blind
0: spots. It, yeah, it's it's got a click. It's got a click. Cause I bet you. So, you, are you you familiar with Old Town Road? Mm-mm. So there was a country song called. So so.
1: Oh, the thing that's a gigantic hit, that, right? That's done by the uh, <laughs> Lil Nas,
0: uh, uh, Lil Nas X, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right, yeah, it's like the most
0: downloaded song ever or something i don't know about ever but definitely last year for sure but um but but you know i can't tell you how many times i've tried to explain cultural appropriation or i've had to answer a question like what is that oh
1: they tried to do the 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 double standard of them they're taking
0: white culture right well i just think i just think there were probably there may be a handful of white people out there that that had that it hit them you know they they had this epiphany of, oh shit! The, the, not everybody, but I'm sure some people did. You know, when it was like, because the, they they initially the controversy on that song, which I guess is not even a controversy anymore, um, but they took it off the country charts. Right? It was it was initially trending on the country charts, and 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 then Billboard took it off after pressure from I don't know the country world or whatever because and and their reasoning was that it it wasn't clearly country, you know, it was, it wasn't country enough, you know? And then a lot of people made the argument of, well, you know, he didn't move to Nashville and like get into the culture. And, you know, they were afraid that he was just a culture vulture. They was afraid that he was just doing country to make a buck and then, but not really gave a shit about country. You know what I mean? Right. And, um, and i always thought like, you know, that is a, that is a perfect example what like, what those people were afraid of is cultural appropriation, what black people complain about, right? Right. But some of those same people will say it doesn't exist, right? Or or it's just something people are crying about, right? And the, and the and here's the here's the sweet, the the cosmic justice, right? Is that, um. Miley Cyrus is one of the biggest perpetrators of this, you know, because she she. Uh, there was a little point in her career where she started hanging out with rappers and ball players, and, and started making more hip hop. Blah, blah, blah. And then, as soon as it started hurting her image, she dropped. She dropped it. She was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I don't really believe in those things," and so on and so forth. And here, here's the real cosmic karma: is that what got Lil Nas X back on the country charts was that he put Billy Ray Cyrus on the remix. Because that's the song, if you've heard that song, it's probably you heard the remix with Billy Ray Cyrus on it. Yes, I did. Right. And that that was not the original song. But he is the one, you know, I think it's just funny because Miley Cyrus is his daughter who is one of the biggest offenders of cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. And he was the remedy to assuage the white fears that that was happening to them. So is it
1: culturally appropriating something for any... White person to do? I don't know. I hip, think, to hip hop?
0: I think there's the there's ongoing debate about that. I don't. I don't know. I mean,
1: like, what about the the Beastie Boys? How do you view them? Because to me, they seem to have put their own spin on it, rather than just taking something and repurposing it without adding yeah, anything I, to it. I,
0: it's it, it is weird. House. It, it is weird why certain people get a pass and certain people don't um do you think it it has to do with authenticity yeah i think it has to do with authenticity i think it has to do with being of whether you of the culture you right. know because i don't think the beastie boys uh, the beastie boys were hip, were hip-hop you know um you think they were or yeah, they weren't yeah they were yeah at the time they were right. they weren't it wasn't just something they that they were pretending to right. be right so I and 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 that's a hard uh I don't I don't know if there's a if it's a black and white hard and fast rules but you know it's one of the things where you know it when you see you it. You know it when you see it. Yeah. yeah. Like
1: vanilla ice that was cultural appropriation. Of, of course.
0: Of course. Right. Yeah. But I don't know Vanilla. I mean cuz now what was he? He's a he does rock and roll now, right?
1: Uh but he was a home remodeler last time I I saw he was uh doing the flipping houses but that was a long a long time ago i don't know i'm
0: yeah. i'm pretty out of touch i'm pretty out of touch um yeah i'm, a, I'm, a, I'm mostly a hermit myself i only leave <laughs> i only leave the house when i have to uh do you live with anybody yeah oh yeah of course married yeah. kids nope and, no no none of that. Yeah. yeah no we just roommates just i think it, you get along i'm not surprised in hollywood if anyone has roommates like you could be in your fifties and you're like, I live with five oh. people. I'm like, Yeah, of course you do.
1: Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> I mean, it's expensive. Yeah, yeah to it's the, super expensive. Somebody that doesn't live here, a a barely nice two bedroom apartment in a so so neighborhood is at least fifteen hundred dollars. Oh yeah. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um anything else you you uh you wanna talk about, we didn't really talk about depression. Um, oh yeah, that was the whole point of this. No, no, no. it wasn't, it wasn't. It was one um, of the things that, that made me want to interview you. But uh, you know, if there's any subject we've talked about um, the most on this podcast, it's been depression. So it's not like we have to get to this. Um, But if there's anything that you want to share about your battles with
0: depression, when did it start? Oh, yeah. Well, I definitely had, I'm, uh, I've been, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder um, a few years ago, which I've always known. Um, um, But I think I, if I'm being honest, I think it started way back when, but I just didn't know.
1: Mm -hmm. How does it present itself? Um, like difficulty getting
0: out of bed trouble making decisions yeah trouble uh, like um i feel i get numb i think a lot of people that aren't that aren't depressed they think it's being sad right and it's like if i wish i could feel sad when i was depressed yeah. but it's not it's feeling nothing feeling nothing yep it's a gray blanket yeah, it's just all the color just, leaves and it's just meh yeah, It's Just. like it's like a feeling like imagine your horror. Have you ever had a split second where you thought you couldn't feel your legs mm-hmm. or something like that? It's like imagine that before your for your emotions. Mm-hmm. That's what it's like. It's like it's like being um, it's like being completely emotionally crippled. Uh, Andrew
1: Solomon, uh, who's the author of uh, Noonday Demon and uh, another book that uh, name escapes me, but a uh, really guy has written extensively about depression. And in uh, a TED talk, he said, "The opposite of depression isn't happiness; it's vitality." And I went, yeah, "Yeah, that is such a great way of of describing it." Yeah, it's like it's living. It's living. Yeah, feeling yeah. a part of the the stream of
0: life yeah i um <clears throat> are there ways you soothe yourself finish your thought first um i do i mean i i think it's it's a constant thing because i can never i don't there's never for me there's never a one-time thing for it i found that it, it happens less often when i'm making healthier choices for instance just, just when I'm not, you know, eating a bunch of fried foods, and um, and when I'm, you know, exercising regularly, when I'm, um, when I'm sleeping. How about well, o-
1: opening up to people? Do you do no, you ever no.
0: get vulnerable with with people or share your feelings? Well, no, well because no, because see, I have, I also have the. The intimacy issues from right. the, my childhood, so uh, that's hard for me. Is but it? Go ahead. No, what were we gonna ask?
1: I was gonna say, is that something that you have any desire to work on, or are you okay with where it's at? Um,
0: no, I'm working on it.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. I, I think I keep. Telling, you seem like you're trying to convince yourself uh, that you're working on it. <laughs> no, I think.
0: I think I keep telling myself that. You know, I think. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've ever explicitly said it, but I think my my general plan is that I have to. It's not a priority until I'm successful enough to to be able to focus on not survive. Because you know, because out here is like that's that's the, that's why a lot of mental health shit gets worse out here is because. Right. But why does it have to be mutually exclusive? Because I think you just have to put so much energy into survival, you know, that you, it's 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 just it's it, it's not impossible. That's not true. Right. But it is. It's easy to believe that it is. It's easy to believe that you just need to eat and mm-hmm. sleep and occasionally have some sex and and you'll be good till the next.
1: I I think also you know one of the hallmarks of depression is that everything feels overwhelming. So the idea of going to get help, going to a support group, seeing a psychiatrist, you know whatever, whatever right. it is, uh, you know.
0: Well, see, my my big issue is with the VA. Um, it, it's just that because there was there was a there was talk for a while of making this so that you could go to any hospital and the VA would pay for it. Mm-hmm. But now you you can only do that if it's an emergency, and and, and even then, still, I think it's only certain hospitals, and you know, mm-hmm. and how I, you know how are you supposed to know that in emergency? But but the point is, um, you know, the fact that like because I don't drive, the fact that I have to I have to go all the way out Westwood whenever mm-hmm. I have in, any appointment at all, me, that means it's all day. It's an all day thing. I can't do anything else that day, you know, yeah, because it's a two two and a half. I would drive, I mean, a ride out there because you gotta, because the, the public transport is so unreliable that you can't plan it down to the minute. You have to, you have to plan it like give yourself a 45 minute window, you know, mm-hmm. so that in case you miss a bus or something comes late or leaves right. early. And so, you know, it's a, it's a two, three hour trip there and then a two, three hour thing while you're there and then a two or three hour trip back, you know, and so you're, um, you know, and so the way they schedule things is like sometimes, man, I just I can't I don't have my whole day to give the VA, you know, yeah. it's like I wish I could do that shit over Skype. <laughs> it's, yes. like, it's like I came all the way out here just to talk to you. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, you know, I'm going to do a shameless plug, Uh, but uh, one of our sponsors is is better help. And um, I do online therapy from that Easy chair over there every Monday afternoon. And really, it's fucking great. Is it expensive? It's it's less expensive than most in person therapy. Oh wow! Yeah, and and um,
0: what about the confidentiality and all of
1: that? It's same thing, same as as a. Oh. I'll talk to you more about it off the air. I don't want to. I don't want to do a a no, plug, a, it. A, a, a plug no, here for. But they've been the sponsor money. for two years, and I've had the same online therapist for two years and she has helped me through a lot of shit and I just love not having to get in my car meet.
0: Yeah, that's to do, to do stuff. That's a big, yeah. Yeah. You know
1: what? Maybe I'll, I'll talk to them and see if, uh, um, they'll
0: sponsor my podcast. If they'll sponsor your podcast. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, And then maybe uh, get you some complimentary, uh, things and you can try it and see if you like it.
0: Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, anything else you want to share before we wrap up? Um, no, not really. Uh, I feel like we covered a lot. It was a lot. It was. Yeah. How long were we going to uh, Hour and 17 minutes.
0: Oh, wow. That, that didn't feel like that long. Yeah. Uh,
1: dude, thank you so much. Uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, again, I love your stand-up. And anybody listening, go check out his stuff. Um, you got any road dates coming up? Um, Although I have no idea when this is going to air. So <laughs> let me right, drive you no, to, your, about, to your website. Yeah, no, just go,
0: just go to my Instagram. Okay. The BS Comedian on Instagram, yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks for having me. Okay. All right. I hope you guys
1: enjoyed that as much as as I did. We only have one survey uh, post-interview, and this is a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Jesus Doesn't Believe in Me and he writes, after spending most of my life knowing my mere presence was a burden to those around me, I had a couple of good days. I was leaving the mental health support group I go to when two people I'd never seen in the group before asked if I wanted to hang out. I was too anxious to say yes right away. I made the excuse of having to check on my diabetic dog. I did, but it could have waited several hours. They texted me a bit after I got home and asked me if I wanted to go bowling and grab some food. I did want to go, so I gathered all my courage and went. It was a blast, and we made definitive plans to hang out again less than a week later. Then two guys who host a nerdy podcast that I love asked me to be the guest on the next episode. I hadn't asked these people to be included. They asked me to join. Since then, the couple I met at group have become some of my best friends of all time. We have standing plans to hang out every Monday and Thursday, and I was asked to join the podcast as a third host. The help I get from my growing support system of friends gave me the clarity of mind to end an extremely toxic relationship. I'm not a piece of shit. I'm a person, and now I can accept that. Oh, I love when I hear stories about people creating a support network and finally feeling love and trust and support and healthy boundaries and being able to start experiencing intimacy and vulnerability and uh, it's just it's it's makes my day makes my day well i i hope you got something out of this episode and if you're struggling, especially this time of year, hang in there. You are not the only one. I can tell you that. That uh, kind of can't can't wait for January 2nd to roll around. Oh, that that's that that's a weird date too because that's the date my <laughs> my dad died in uh, in 2006. Let's say January 3rd. Let's do that and let's end the the show with you picturing my dead dad. Let's do that. Just I think Santa would would enjoy that. Just remember, you're not alone, and thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know weird is bizarrely beautiful. fucked up, up in some weird way.
0: Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.